Hey, welcome everybody. Hey, today I wanted to uh, just get into this real quick. Uh, Brian Blevins is my guest today, and I was perusing Facebook, and um, I saw that he had an incredible experience. Uh, he had been part of saving someone's life, and I reached out to him. I said, hey, you got to get over here. We got to get on the mic. So here we go. Hey, today I'm with Brian Blevins. And Brian, we've known each other since uh, I don't even know when, and uh, always always had a lot of respect for you and i know you went through some stuff but we can get to that later i want to talk about something you just posted on facebook and uh the reason i reached out to you is because i i I, i've said it before uh with travis jester on my podcast we talked about how drug addiction and um not only drug addiction but drug addiction and, and mental health affects more families than anyone wants to admit. Oh, bro. And is willing to admit. And it scares me. It scares me as someone who um, drug addiction has affected my family in a very close way. Um, alcohol abuse was part of my, my family in a big way. And I believe there's there's um, mental health issues that, that go along with that. That um, I've, I've experienced depression. I've experienced, you know, some, some moments of very... Um, very sensitive moments that I'm not willing to share yet. Yeah. Um, but I want to talk about what you just posted on Facebook today. Uh, and and I don't want to, I don't want to tell the story. Uh, Sure. Man, I, I'm telling you, um, here's my morning. So I'm a, I'm a peer support specialist, a community health worker. So my job for the last, uh, little, five plus years has been helping people whether it's in recovery now more geared to the community health worker side so um diabetes uh heart disease like a lot of different you know um diseases or or whatever you know just being present for people pointing them in the right direction uh just being there for people and uh this morning i had a gentleman um we filed for an expungement uh, for this guy and uh, five years ago I met this guy he was living in a storage unit in gas city <laughs> and that's crazy to me because th- he's an older guy you know what I'm saying so um, I met him uh, through the hospital um, he um, wanted to go to rehab and the rehab I got him into was like three and a half hours away mm. And uh, so, you know, we scheduled everything. I go to pick this guy up. He has a bicycle. His bicycle's at a bar in an alley. And I'm like, okay, this is a weird start. And he looks at me and he's like, hey, we're going to have to put my bicycle uh, in the car because I'm taking it with me. And I'm like, I don't think you get it, dude. We're going three and a half hours to court in Indiana. You can't put a bicycle in my truck and and take it or in my trunk and take it to rehab and so he's like you know screw this i'm not going to rehab and uh some time went by uh saw this gentleman again and uh just started some small talk uh just wanted to get to know him he let me know his living situation um i started 
you know, I would eat uh, dinner here in, in Harford City, and I, you know, let my leftovers, bro, like, and I'm not saying this, like, look at me or whatever. Right. Like, I took food uh, to, you know, I would take my leftovers and stuff, and I would drive it to Gas City because I knew there was a, a dude living in a storage unit, and... You know, whether he was cold and hungry or hot or, you know, how how does someone like that use the restroom? Like, that stuff, like, really hit my heart. So, I, you know, I just really started to reach out more and more to this guy. Ended up getting, getting him into housing in Montpelier, Indiana. And uh, that didn't work out. Went back to the storage unit, got him uh, another housing in Gas City that didn't work out he he dealt with uh mental illness mm -hmm. so that you know no diagnosis not going to the doctor mm -hmm. he had to have a hip replacement uh pacemaker put in so he had you know he was an alcoholic so so many issues but his mental illness wouldn't allow him to get into a place to live so uh finally um through um radiant health in in marion they had living uh, there in Hartford City, it's called uh, Sky Ridge Apartments. So I was able to get this guy into Sky Ridge Apartments, and uh, I through Taylor University, they had an expungement program. So something that I found that worked well with this guy is if you gave him hope or something to look forward to, like, I mean, <laughs> it, it just slowly started to just change uh this guy, plus he was taking his medications as prescribed. Mm. Um, he went and got his hip replaced, um, stayed in a nursing home. I was able to take him and and be there, you know, by his side a lot, you know, through my job. And he got his pacemaker moved in. And so his expungement is uh, Wednesday, the 30th and he don't have any pants like he had two pair of pants and you know the crotch was like ripped out of his pants and we have to go to court and he's like um i don't want to go to court you know and not have any any jeans and i'm like bro let's go to walmart and mm -hmm. and we'll I'll, I'll get you some jeans you know this ain't this ain't no problem right you know so so we're in there and uh I'm 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 in Walmart and he's looking at jeans and it, it takes him like 45 minutes, bro, to to get these jeans and I'm I'm standing there and I'm like you know scrolling through my phone and looking, and uh, someone said something is that his cart and then they started talking and I I said yeah I'm kind of a case manager and you know you know I help people and a lady heard me say that and started talking about mental illness and all this stuff with her daughter and then we had an amazing conversation about uh mental illness and that it's not diagnosed and you know sometimes people just shove it away and mm -hmm. and what that looks like so you know had amazing conversation we're leaving a couple guys uh see uh this gentleman i was with and knew him from the past and they're like man you you look really good you know mm -hmm. And, and I'm like, man, that's, that's awesome. You know, this guy's getting his life together, just got some new jeans, a belt. And he sat down and he, he's like, man, I tell you what, what, I don't think anything could get any better for me. You know, he had a lifetime suspension on his license. We looked that up. He might be able to get a license due to, he hasn't been in trouble or nothing in the past 10 years. So he's just, you know, 
joyful for a couple pair of pants and a belt and and we're leaving and i leave walmart and uh i'm i'm heading to the grace house to talk about a recovery event coming up the 31st which is overdose awareness day you know you know which this factors into the whole story i get to mcclure's gas station uh right there in marion and i look up and there's a lady like stopped her car right in the middle of the road and i'm thinking what in the world is this lady doing like i looked over and then i'm like oh man there's a vehicle like right up against a pole that would go right into the intersection if that pole hadn't been there and i'm turning uh to the gas station where i could see the gentleman in the window and i noticed his head was just back and he was i mean he just looked lifeless you know uh, a car length away from me so i immediately just whipped it right into the gas station and i jumped out of my car and uh there was some narcan and i ran over because i i you know i didn't know what was going on but but i had that on me and uh sure enough uh he was purple like he would he was literally looked already dead you know the skin color mm-hmm. and everything was like gone and uh i jumped i i put his vehicle in park because he it, the engine was still revving and i turned the the ignition off and took the keys out and i ran to his side and some people are now seeing like what's going on and somebody did call 911 and I hurried up and ran and and I I've been trained uh in Narcan training. I work for Bridges to Health, so that's something that we do. We train people to use Narcan. And so, you know, it, it's a real easy thing to do. You unpill it, you stick it up their nostril, and it's like a plunger. You know, you, you just hit the plunger and uh I put the first dose, you know, up his up his nostril and you know to see someone lifeless and no collar in the skin i'm i'm rubbing on his chest to make sure you know trying to get him to breathe and you know i'm yelling at him and he starts gurgling like and i'm like that's that's a good sign that you know he's trying to get oxygen or maybe this narcan's gonna work and then i'm like i don't have no more like I'm running around looking, I'm tearing through my car and my trunk and, and all of a sudden a guy that, that worked at the sober living home that I was going to was coming. He had two more Narcans right there. And I was like, wow. And he, he threw them to me and I hit him with two more. And, uh, he still was just barely gargling another guy from another recovery house in, in Marion had two more hitting him with those two and then a girl from inside of the gas station brought one more and i hit him with one more which was made six he started like gurgling uh, a little more paramedics came they were going to give him another one but we laid his seat straight back and when we laid his seat straight back it must have went from his nose down his mm. his uh, throat or whatever and it was a imme- he immediately immediately just like came to life i just immediately saw somebody like dead not breathing more alive i mean it was 
it was it was i mean it was crazy that somebody just totally unresponsive that just was was back full of life he he didn't want to go to uh the er and even get checked out is how like okay that that he was which was a lot for me to process you know what i'm saying is like bro you was just dead you might want to go to the er right but, but he uh he shared with me because i shared a little bit of my recovery that i'm eight years you know sober and i kind of you know this is what i do in grant county and i gave him my my phone number and information and he's like bro i was five months uh sober and you know i relapsed so he wasn't even like back in active right. addiction he messed up and said he took a a pill which you know it, it, people's getting fentanyl and that's what it was he was they said he was nodding out in mcclure's got in his vehicle and was leaving and he just totally you know od'd while he was in drive and ran right into a pole another crazy thing was i'm looking down he he only had one arm so he had some trauma 10 years ago he shared a little bit about and i looked on his dash and there was a bible <laughs> like right there on his dash and the, you know i i just affirmed with him i'm like buddy the string of events that brought narcan to you mm -hmm. another guy another guy and a girl for you to be breathing today if you would tell me that, that that's not you know i don't believe in coincidences or whatever you know what i mean that looks sure. like it's like you know to today um something amazing happened and you know it wasn't that i showed up it was there was a bunch of people that showed up that had uh, narcan because grant county we have it at the grace house we have it at the rescue mission we pass it out in the recovery community because we know you know people are dying and there's so much stigma and people you know lose compassion about you know somebody using drugs or dealing with m mental health and it's like that's affected me and i've lost close people in my life that are good people sons daughters brothers and sisters you know and i've been affected so much and it's like you can't help anyone when they're dead that facts That's you, you know what i'm saying when they're dead there's there's no more help so if whatever it is if if you can help someone and there can be one more chance or one more time you know that that's what it was for me you know so so many years you know everyone could have given up on me and 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 threw me to the curb because you know i did i didn't deserve you know the the goodness uh, that i got i deserve you, you know to be locked in a cell and you know I, I did some things and and you know i probably didn't pay the penalty you know that that other people had paid and 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 you know you really can't process or answer to those things but you know i had a divine appointment when i was incarcerated and you know i i met the lord while i was in jail and i said i'm not going to do this anymore i'm going to change my life which i always said that before I always wanted to change. I really just didn't know how. So, you know, when, when I gave my heart over at my lowest point, because, you know, I, I was going to commit suicide while I was in jail, and I just didn't have the way or means to do that. So I know what it's like to just not want to 
to live but when when you have a new opportunity and a new chance and you find out that serving other people and the joy that it brings by helping others i mean waking up is not a problem when when you're not waking up for yourself anymore right you know when when you're legitimately helping other people it's real easy to get out of bed i was thinking about as you were you were talking i, I want can you can you help my listeners know what narcan is it's it's naloxone is that how it's pronounced? Yeah. Um, my wife, Jennifer, and you know Jennifer. Yeah. She is the uh, medical person in this house. Yeah, that's awesome. Far. But uh, if you could if you could explain that to the listeners so they're aware and know what different forms it comes in yeah. and uh, why. Um, I don't know if you – I'm sure you do. If you can explain why it works. Yeah, so it, it, it immediately reverses uh, – the the overdose like it just totally reverses it and sometimes people go into immediate withdrawal which they'll wake up and be combative um over but it is safe to use uh police um we try to get more police to have it on their police cars and then one of the problems when narcan first came out it was in a syringe so there was a needle mm -hmm. involved and you would have to you know load the needle and then you gotta you know inject somebody with a needle now they have nasal narcan which you know is a lot safer there's not a syringe or you know um whatever that's like uh, another thing that people need to know is it's safe even around children like a child could get a hold of a thing of narcan and it's not going to do anything to them so you know i think there's a stigma around it is it is it safe it's like yeah right it, it's safe enough to even uh be around uh kids or you know it they've did uh so many studies and you know it it has no adverse effects on on anyone you know it only works if somebody uh is is overdosing right and that was something um i think <laughs> I think there's a lot of misconceptions about Narcan out there of it's, it could be dangerous to kids. You know, why do we have it everywhere? What, one of the big ones I hear is uh, we can give Narcan for free, but, but we can't give diabetics medicine for free. And, and we're talking about two totally different things, folks. <laughs> Apples and oranges. It's not even the same playing field. And uh, I want to, I wanted you to come in today um, for, for multitude of reasons. Uh, this was just an, an immediate thing. It happened today, and I want to make sure that we get that out there, how you you were able to be in the right place at the right time and being aware of the opportunity to utilize a tool. And Narcan is a tool. A tool. It's a life-saving tool uh, to save that man's life. And, and thank you for doing that. And I, I'm with you. When I hear someone say, well, they took the drugs, so yeah, they, yeah. they you get what you deserve. Yeah, it was a, their would, choice to would do you it. be saying that if, if if it were you, right? If it were your child, if yeah. it were your, if it was someone close to you, and I can't help but think of the number of second chances I've been given. Oh man! And, and thankfully, I've never had had to be in that situation. But man, Brian, yeah. I mean, it, it's a lot, you know, and there's all this stigma uh, behind it, but we're talking about a life, a, a human, human being, being, you know, um, 
whether somebody deserves or whatever, look, we all deserve another chance. And I don't even care like what that looks like. And, and I know there's some penalties and some things that, that are so gross people, you know, that's why the courts, uh, do the things the court do that they do. But when you're talking about mental illness and whether, uh, addiction is a disease or a choice, I'm telling you once addiction grabs a hold of you and you are physically dependent, you will do absolutely anything, say anything to get to feel better and not to be sick to anyone to i'm telling you i've i mean i've been doing this for a long time and and i thought that i was a unicorn and i was unique and and once i got into the recovery community and there's so many people you know that feel like i feel think that like i would think and you know once that i started opening up and and getting rid of uh some of the things and inside of me you know that really helped is to have a community of people that like understand so why peer support is so important in my opinion it's because you have a lived experience and when you have that lived experience it's just a little you know easier to talk to someone that knows what you're talking about Mm -hmm. and and there's value in the whole system you know there's value in the whole thing but at that beginning you know stage of do i want to be in recovery or or what do i even want you know i think somebody that has that li- lived experience in my opinion it's a it makes a you know it takes another barrier away you know from the ability to somebody say hey if they can do it i can do it right yeah thinking about um what you're talking about is you know the peer recovery coaches and um correct yeah yeah absolutely. And, and how important that is to have someone who has experienced that who has lived it and and then to to coach someone through it you, you know what the craving is yeah you know what the feeling of you know that that moment when the drug hits when you need it when it's coming off of a high you understand and feel that someone who hasn't yeah just doesn't have a clue yeah, yeah they don't there's no way they can explain that and and i've experienced what life has to offer but that still doesn't put me in a position that you're in having been uh boy brian and i I tell you nobody wants to sign up for this stuff you know what i'm saying it it's like you you don't want to go out there and 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 then you know i threw away from my late teens until i was 42 you know what I'm saying? You grew up with me, yep. and I didn't grow up that way. That's not who I was at the the beginning part of high school. Right. You know that we knew each other. It's like, you, you know, we stopped hanging out because you were doing the right thing, and I didn't want to. Right. <laughs> you know, that, that's that's facts. It is. You, for for a short period of time, we're running around in very similar circles. It yeah. Was like, um, I was kind of on on the outside rung of those circles that we fall into. I don't know how else to put it. But, you know, somewhere there in the middle, there's there's that point where you, it's very difficult to come back out of. Yeah. And I, I was very fortunate to to get my toe yeah, wet and yeah. go, I don't, I, don't, yeah. I don't want anything to do with that. And I know there were some of you guys that, that didn't. A lot. You, know? you yeah. guys didn't refuse and, and move away from it. And uh, a lot of a lot of our friends, mutual friends oh, yeah. that we've lost. And, and uh, you know, just past few years being a teacher – 
seeing children come through my classroom of, of kids who have been affected. Their lives have been changed and altered because of the choices their parents made uh, yeah. who are no longer with us or still with us and still making uh, making bad choices and those kids coming through it. And, yeah, being raised by their grandma and grandpa. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. we see it all the time. And, and the overdose that, that, you know, that hits me probably the hardest was, you know, there was a 16-year-old uh, kid and uh, he was sticking a needle in his arm at 12 years old. Like, how do you say that? How do you, I mean, that's just, that's just absolutely nuts. You, you know, back, back when we were young, you know, it was alcohol and, and marijuana, but they, all that stuff is gone. It's like kids are now, they don't even know what they're putting in their body. And not, none of that is like fun or a good time or a social activity. Like, absolutely. yeah, there's no, you know, so it's, it's just so different. The generation, you know, that we live in today, it's like you don't know if your teen might take something they thought was an aspirin and and it have fentanyl in it. I mean, it's so crazy. They're crushing these pills. And, I mean, you, you better have, like, a, your own aspirin bottle and your own stuff, and you better not be out getting pills off of anyone else that you don't know because you could think you could be curing a headache and that's happened i mean i've i've seen that where you know somebody ran out of their medication and literally thought that they were just you know going to get a a, a a medication off of someone else and they're not here today literally because they thought they were getting something they were prescribed i I've, i know that and that's, I mean, all, you know, that's just, it just tears me up, bro. And I haven't like literally, I don't think to the fullest dealt or grieved that stuff because I don't, it's been an everyday thing for the last five years to me watching people uh, close to me or the field that I'm in be gone. Like, you know. So what kind of sports out there for for you well so, so, you guys are supporting yeah so many and, others well and that's that's the thing you better have uh your support system you know i better have mentors and people speaking into my life and somebody that i could go you know throw up all over or you know you you can't just uh take on other people's stuff and and you know walk around thinking you're some leader or you're you're okay and and not have a healthy outlet it, it don't work you know what i'm saying it, it's so important you know i have men in my life today you know there's there's men that i turn to um there's non-negotiables in my life you know church for me um, you know, my attendance has been down or whatever, but it's a non-negotiable in my life. Mm -hmm. I have a men's group, you know, there's things that are non-negotiable in my life. My wife uh, is in recovery herself. She works for the jail and, you know, she has non-negotiables mm -hmm. in her life. That's not, you know, I think every person in recovery needs to find out like, and, and when I say non-negotiable, it's like, you're not going to negotiate, not going or not having that as a part of right. your lifestyle your new lifestyle is a non-negotiable and that is so many different things for so many different people so i can't say my non-negotiable is going to work 
for somebody else because that's not how none of that works. You know what I'm saying? I, I do. And yeah. so you, I'm thinking about as you're talking through this, I'm just thinking about the things that <clears throat> I've changed in my life uh, just to be healthier. And, and, you know, being, I was a smoker for 16 years and that was, I, I listened to, uh, and, and I've listened to a lot of things you put out and, and followed your, your recovery process. And I followed your, I followed your addiction process yeah. too. I mean, we were all there. It wasn't like it was a secret, right? right. And, and, and I'm, I'm thankful that your recovery process hasn't been a secret either because it, it's opened the door to Brian Blevins and, and it's also been the accountability piece for you. And, and I think that non-negotiable you're talking about is the accountability yeah. that, that comes in with recovery. Yeah. You know, for me to stop smoking, which is, which is a process as well. And it's an overcoming an addiction to nicotine. I had to change my life, my personal culture. And I had to decide I wasn't going into the convenience store anymore. Yeah. I just couldn't go in. I would go get gas for my car, but I could not walk in the store for months. Yeah. It may have been a year before I walked into a convenience store wow. after getting gas. Yeah. I'm not going into a bar and playing pool. There's no way. You know what I'm saying? Not, yeah. Yeah. I still struggle. Like we'd love to go to the casino and just hang out and throw some coins yeah. in and, and listen. And, but I can't because of the amount of smoke that's in there. Yeah. It's going to get me. It's going to get me. It's going to trigger things in my brain. And you know, I, I think there's that culture, that personal culture, that lifestyle you talked about, changing your lifestyle. That's what it is. And you're not just the habit of the addiction. It is the habit of your daily walk to the, to the car. Uh, and when you have to change everything, I'm talking everything. I mean, you don't know how to do that. You know what I'm saying? Right. You, you have to watch somebody else who has did it before you and then you know what i mean you gather hope and tools and and resources and then you become the hope for somebody else and you just pass that along because you know once that you get into your recovery how you maintain recovery is service work so you know you just don't get better and say oh well you know, I got it all together now. And, you know, if you're not helping the next guy, right. you know, that same selfishness and, and everything will, will ultimately I've seen over and over, you know, that's why it's the revolving door of that thing. You know, people get some of their life back and it better. And then they, for, you know, they lose the accountability. It's not a lifestyle mm -hmm. change. And, you know, you got to put clothes on every morning. You know, there, there's stuff that, that, that you got to wake up and do every, you know, you just don't wake up and walk out of the house naked. You know, you, yep. you the first thing you got to do is, you know, you might want to take a shower. You might want to brush your teeth. Like there's all these small things that you have to build up to just to leave the house. And, and some people lose all bearing of even normal things that you'd think, oh, well, that's just something people do. Well, you know, that changing your lifestyle and being healthy, it's all of a sudden you have to change your lifestyle and, and know what healthy looks like. Because if your mom and dad uh, didn't teach you things, like where do you learn them? I mean, right. and, and that's a lot of stuff that we see. We, we see a lot of, of men that weren't raised by a man and everyone says, I'm never going to, I'm not going to be like my dad. 
you know, or are you going to not be, Yeah. you know, what's or, that process? Yeah. That's interesting. I, I had a guest on Hal Bowman a while back and, and he was talking about how he feels that, um, the same thing you just said, we have, we have young boys who are being raised without, without dads, without strong male role models in their life. How are they going to become a strong male role model without one to see and to follow? And, and, and I'm not, I'm not taking away from mothers. Yeah. Man, I, I not love at all. We have to have a mother. We have to, my mother was a huge impact in my life. And, um, there were times I was lost without her, you know, and still today I'm lost without her. Um, but I had a mom who edified my dad and, and talked about how she could, and, and I mentioned this just a while back, she can, she can replace me. She can make another one of me, but she chose him. And, yeah. and that said a lot about how my mom looked at my dad and his role in, in my life. He was our leader. And, and I think we have some, some young men out there who haven't experienced that. Yeah. And I, I think there needs to be, I don't think it, I know it. There yeah. needs to be a mentorship program Has, of yeah. some sort. Has there, to be. there needs to be someone for them to look to uh, so that they don't run into uh, the wrong people who are going to take them, take advantage of them. Yeah. And look, I have uh, an amazing family. Um, no one in my family deals with addiction or the other stuff. So it's not always that your mom and dad you know, was right. the cause. Mine was just basically uh, poor decision-making and wanted to fit in to a crowd I didn't belong to. Right. You know, I just wanted to fit <laughs> into something else. That's so interesting. And, uh, uh, something else I've mentioned before is just taking ownership of yourself and finding that best self, you know. And, and we both looked for someone to for approval yeah in the wrong in the wrong category still can sometimes oh 100 percent. yeah you know, I, I continued to do that and i think about i think about the days in my band and as much as i truly enjoyed making music and that process of creating that art um i love all those guys but they weren't the best decision makers either right you know yeah uh, not all of them were it's interesting and just had a dream about one of them the other night and I thought, my God, he looks so good. He, just, he looked healthy for the first time and uh, I'm going to have to reach out to him. So um, yeah, I'm glad I mentioned that because I forgot about the dream I had, but anyway, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things. And um, I'm going to switch gears on you a little bit and, and I want to talk about chubby burger because oh, yeah. that on. doesn't happen without this. No, that doesn't happen without all the things before it. And yeah. so with that being said, as much as there is um, shame and regret and all the yeah. stuff from all the process sure. uh, of, of your, your addiction and, and recovery, boy, you've sure, you've sure made some amends. You'll <laughs> never be able to make it all up. Well, no. And, no. And you know yeah. that. Right. Uh, as, as someone who... Um, my sister has struggled with addiction in, in her past and, um, and you were part of her recovery process oh, yeah. as well and, and, and her husband. And so I think, um, I thank you for that. But without all of that, if we were, <laughs> yeah. I want to get to chubby burger, man, because on. number one, I love a good cheeseburger there and you, you guys go. put one out there. That's for sure. Uh, so t talk to me. So, so it's a, it, you know, when I went to jail this last time, like I said, you know, I didn't want to live. And basically that was the best thing that ever happened to me because my decision was 
well, if you don't want to live and there's more to life and I called on a name who accepted me and that was there for me, why don't I give my life that I didn't want in the first place to him? So, so that's kind of, it really made sense to me. It's like, look, you screwed up everything. You did everything bonehead, backwards, you know, all wrong. And uh, I had a back disease, anxiety disorder, uh, major depression. I was on disability um, for six to eight years, something like that. So I, I never had to work the rest of my life because I was on, on disability. But what happened to me in the jail uh, was an absolute miracle because I no longer had uh, a bag disease, anxiety disorder, major depression. And, and I have never been to the doctor uh, since then to disprove like I didn't because like I just something that I haven't needed to do. That's just the, the, the truth. Well, I get placed on a house arrest. Um, instead of them sending me to prison, um, you know, they take my car, they take my house, they take my money. And here I'm left, uh, at my mom and dad's, uh, if they're going to accept me to live in their house on house arrest that the judge just gave me six years, you know, six years on house arrest seems like a long time, mm. but when you're facing 18 years in prison and then they could have hit you with habitual drug felon at 42 years old, that's life, bro. That is life. So, you know, I'm facing life in prison and when I had that encounter or, you know, that happened to me, uh, recovery, uh, became a thing, uh, dealing with my mental health. Uh, I went to uh, Hester Hollis and, you know, worked on my mental health, uh, identified a whole lot of stuff um, inside of me, learned, you know, a whole lot. And um, I started sharing all this on Facebook because I didn't know what to do with it. If if you were just healed of all of this stuff and you seen hives and rashes and everything leave your body like like how do you not tell somebody about it? Right. like you know when when i first caught fire for recovery or or the lord or or whatever it's because something so drastic happened inside of my body it was like all of a sudden it was like my heart uh i was given a new heart and when i was given a new heart i didn't like I didn't want to listen to the the heavy metal and, and all this stuff that I loved. And, like, my music started to change. The way I looked at women started to change. I stopped cussing, and my language started to change. And I didn't say that I was going to stop doing all this. All of a sudden, all of that stuff just was no longer attractive to me. So um, being on house arrest at my parents, sharing all of this, on Facebook, somebody that uh, we graduated with, uh, Scott Blakely, he called me and uh, I just had gone back to Ivy Tech and because I want to be a drug addiction counselor. Mm -hmm. So, so you know, this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to be a, a, a counselor and I go and I make the dean's list and I get to this uh, thing that they call ethics. <laughs> and, and the funny thing about ethics is you're not allowed to have relationships with people you're i mean there's so much stuff that you can't do and it like totally goes against 
my faith and i mean i'm gonna be walking around a, a liar basically if i'm gonna go and go through with this i'm gonna have to get a job and basically you, you know everything all I, I believe in and everything else is is you know whatever so i make the dean's list and uh i come home and i'm like i'm quitting school i'm i'm done i can't i can't like morally do this i'm not okay with it you know and uh so i drop out of school and i come home and and i tell my mom you know mom uh just dropped out of college and she's like oh okay and you know went back to doing and i'm like i'm thinking now that's a big thing like you don't want to lecture me and right you know say what are you doing or whatever she just was totally at peace with the right decisions that i have been making she's witnessed me in my work you know what i mean she she's had a front row seat of how hard that that i work the dedication the desire and the drive she witnessed all that to the level of she now trusted whatever decision it's your life you're going to make your decisions so that kind of you know hit me that same evening i get a phone call from scott and he said brian uh are you uh are you being real and i was like bro what are you talking about am i being real and he's like well i'm seeing all this stuff on facebook and everything i just want to know is is this like is this real like you know I ain't trying to pull one over because Listen, I just, we've all known Brian long enough. Yeah. You, we, you and I are yeah, cut from yeah, a very similar yeah, cloth, so right? He, he had to ask, you, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, look, bro, I'm not the same dude, Scott. Like, I, you know, I, your opinion of me, bro, I freaking don't care. I love you. You know what right. I'm saying? But I'm not out to, to get some followers or friends or, right. or whatever that looks like. I'm, I'm just saying the truth of the things that I know and I've experienced. And he's like, man, I want to hook you up with a job. Well, I'm on house arrest and, and disability, and, and that's not paying the bills. And that's sure. like $14 a day, bro. And I'm at my mom and dad's and, and no clue. You know, I, I right. went to the thrift store and, and got a start, you know. So I, I had a very humbling uh, beginning. So Scott's like, uh, how would you like to be a barista? And I didn't care what it was, bro. I'm like. I didn't even know what a barista was. Sure. Yeah, and he was like, uh, you be uh, selling coffee, you know, in the recovery community. It's all about coffee, dude. So it's yeah. like winning, Scott, you know. <laughs> Th that's awesome. And uh, he brings me in for my uh, interview. I pull up in Portland, Indiana to this nice, great, big, beautiful little uh, elephant air trailer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This great, you know, this, you know, this great job that I'm going to make like eight or nine dollars an hour at, okay. you know, handing somebody a cup of coffee with two teenagers <laughs> thinking, you know, OK, and uh, walk in the the trailer and there stands uh, Tom Oliver. And for anyone that doesn't know who Tom Oliver is, he was the the policeman that had chased me all throughout blackford county he was the you know the drug guy in yep. in blackford county so you know it, it was like i walked in and i just felt like set up and like demoralized instantly like what's this dude 
Like, what's going on? Yeah, like, come on, what's bro. What's really you know, going on? Exactly. Like, I changed, like, you, you know, this whatever setup or whatever. And he goes, oh, oh, Brian, hold on. Hold on. And I was. Because like, you're not that far out of recovery. Like, you're yeah, not. Yeah, no, I'm just like six, eight months. You yeah. know what I mean? Nine months, maybe. It's still yeah. with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I'm early. You, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And, and I hated this dude. Yeah. Like, you know, and I can, I love him today. You know what I'm saying? But sure. he, he knows, yep. you know, he good, you know, the good side and the bad side, you know, he was the good that's and right. I was the bad and, and that's how it was. And he did a good job and I thought I did a good job. Right. right. So you don't like each other. <laughs> and, uh, he's like, hold on, Brian. And I'm like, what, bro? And he's like, I just want to tell you, he said, I'm proud of you. And I was like, Bro, I didn't, I mean, I cried. Oh, I'm sure. I, I cried, and I was like, man, like, he, he, like he knows, like, I've changed. You know what I'm saying? I, I didn't know how to, like, yeah. explain it or tell, and we went for a ride, and he was like, bro, you're going to be able to help so many people. He said, you have uh, no no idea if, if, if you do this and you do this thing right, how many people that you'll be able to touch. He said, I've seen your whole bad. And if, and if your, your good can be good, he said, you know, the, the sky is mm-hmm. the limit for you, bro. And, you know, I kind of, you know, I, I really took that man and, and everything that I started doing, I started doing it with excellence and I really started to care passionately about the smallest details of everything i started to do your words your actions everything started to be important to me then and then you know i started to have people to look upon people that were successful Mm -hmm. um you know pastor troy kaufman you know Mm -hmm. some some men you know that did things the right way you know had started having men you know speaking to my life that i would never allowed right. to, to tell me anything bro i started watching and wanting to figure uh this stuff out because you know i wasn't a good dad to my my first son but you know with this job as a barista man it quickly moved forward bro like they opened up a store in upland within a month and all of a sudden i was a manager and then scott blakely got called to be a principal again Mm -hmm. which uh tom oliver stepped up which opened the door for me to be a general manager so i went from disability to handing somebody a cup of coffee to a manager to running a whole 130,000 150 300,000 you know two stores or whatever Mm -hmm. that looked like with keys and safes and (laughs) you you know what i'm saying like in access in in a fast you know what I mean? Within 15 months, all of a sudden, I'm a general manager. Mm-hmm. And then I move into a project manager. And I'm on house arrest at this time. And then while I'm on house arrest, Tyler Hunt was a huge, huge impact in my life. I'll never forget him, him setting, me setting in front of him, and I'm in his room. And he said, you have the opportunity to be the most successful person that's ever sat in that chair right there. And it, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I've had some people speak some things into my life and, and kind of, you know, raise me up a little bit. And him 
to encourage and motivate me. And I started to believe in myself. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I believed in myself. I believed in everything that happened to me. And I was like, this isn't coincidence. I'm putting in hard work. I changed the people in my life. I have accountability. I know what recovery is. You know, I'm starting to to change my lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I practiced that a whole lot of things. Like I was a professional athlete, you would probably say. <laughs> and if you practice like you're a professional, you're going to be professional right. at something. Right. So all of a sudden, I still have four uh, felonies uh, to, to, you know, on, on my case, you know, I'm still a four-time uh, convicted drug felon. I'm uh, now getting ready to be a project manager for Community Family Services, which is a crazy title to carry without a college degree. Mm -hmm. And uh, I get a phone call, and uh, it was Shane Bill, and they were doing a, a recovery event. The state senator, Andy Zay, was hosting at the in Wabash at the their theater the honeywell Center. oh yeah man yeah. That, that thing is it's, it's, dude it's amazing. i dude i gotta be the keynote final speaker and i gotta sign the wall where bob and tom yeah and, and all these oh yeah <laughs> all these amazing people bro there's brian blevins right right there in the midst of all of them because if you get to share that stage you get to write your name on the wall there's elvis oh yeah and and like you you see that whole whole back way i got i gotta like do <laughs> that dude and that that was just stupid to me that i gave up brian blevins like the selfish guy legit worked my butt off bro and all of a sudden i'm on stage with the opportunity to tell a story of basically just what my recovery looked like and what hope looked like for me and how that hope could work for someone else and from that uh, a job opportunity became available in grant county for the community opioid response endeavor which i had a very good job so it was really you know i don't want to leave that job but mm -hmm. one thing it was it was i got to be a peer and being a peer support specialist the ethics are kind of a little different mm -hmm. <laughs> you, you know what i'm saying so everything that that i said screw college and everything all of a sudden the door got opened up to make professional money right doing something that isn't even a job at all you know what I'm saying? Right. i can't even really say that that's a job because how can loving people and getting pointing people in right directions and being there for people what what everybody should be doing for everyone anyway you know you know what i mean i get paid to do that all of a sudden i'm going into the emergency room i have keys to cornerstone which is a mental illness uh place i've taken like three more people than we graduated high school together i've taken to rehab in my car bro like that's a stupid mm. number of people that i started individually just like whatever barrier somebody would have if they were the, in the emergency room or detox and cornerstone or whatever that looked like bro i could like break all that down in real time have you there take you myself pick you up like the, and they allowed me and gave me the freedom 
to connect with all those people, you know, in that time I uh, got married um, and, you, you know, never being married. And I'm, now I'm 44 years old. Uh, I get married and, you know, God blessed me with a son uh, at 46. At 46. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 50-year-old with a, a three-year-old probably don't sign up to do that thing, but if when God gives you a new lease and a new opportunity on life, bro, it's like right. there there's nothing there's nothing like it, bro. I I mean anything any desire of my heart, uh, God has given me tenfold because I didn't like I said I didn't want my life in the first place. So recovery has brought me a new life, but the the work ethic and everything. You, you know, that was me getting up. That was me doing the extra. That was me studying. That was me networking, you, you know, doing all those things to get to where, you know, all of a sudden I'm the life change director at the Grant County Rescue Mission and working two jobs because my wife uh, had a job and she had to quit her job because of the baby. Sure. So I'm working two jobs, bro. I'm working 60, 70 hours a week and you couldn't even peel me off the couch. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's like, dude, a uh, desire to, to wake up and provide and to do those things um, is, is something that happened. And uh, so I, I, I then, you know, COVID happened. I step away from the rescue mission because we have our baby my wife gets a job at the Delaware County Jail to where she uh, works for the IRACS mm -hmm. uh, program, yep. and she mentors women. And um, so, you know, I, I, uh, the core program that I hired in with, while it was going away, and I knew it was going away, so I stepped into a recovery house supervisor's job. And in that job, uh, somebody... Um, Kirk Boothman, mm -hmm. that he he messed up, you know, uh, a couple times, and Blackford County basically, you know, washed their hands <laughs> with with Kirk, which you you know, kind of some of our 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 poor decisions sometimes, you know, backs them into <laughs> we can force their hands for us, you know what I'm saying? Right. So so uh, he wasn't as fortunate as I was, and he went and and serve some time when i was at the grace house he wrote me a letter and uh you know helped me get out of jail and and i'm like well i've been working with the problem solving cords and and doing a lot of stuff in grant county but as far as as blackford county i'm still brian blevins probably you know what i mean <laughs> somewhat you know in blackford so i go in front of the judge with kirk and uh basically you know he he got out and he did a year and a half at the grace house and um we came up with an idea you know let's start a, a food truck uh business because we both love serving people and we served in the recovery community we've hosted uh large events mm -hmm. we you know we fed people and did all that so we just really wanted to to serve you know some some food and and by golly, I needed a 401k for all the years that I didn't invest in myself, and I invested in a whole bunch of other stuff I shouldn't have been investing in. So really, I I bet on uh, bet on myself, mm -hmm. and things have really been going well. He came up with the name Chubby Burgers. Uh, he 
came up with a really great signature sauce. Um, we, we keep a small menu, so we do uh, burgers and hot dogs, all, all beef, Nathan, Nathan's Ballpark Franks, bro. Y'all know I love Come some on. Nathan's. Yeah, and, you know, and, and we have quality food for, you know, a cheap price. Um, we did fairs and festivals, and we keep our hot dogs at, like, two bucks because, you know, you, you buy a burger or whatever, you see families who don't have Right. money bro so and right. i and i'll give away food too yep. you know if if you're hungry and and i think you're hungry and you're walking by i'm get, i'm giving you something and you know that I just, <laughs> that's just just how i am i'm really not you know i, li- I like to make money or, or whatever don't get me wrong but it, you know that's not the the most important thing and i, I think the ability to network and build so many relationships through all of the things that I've done has led up with me sitting in your chair, you know, on this day, bro. Like, it all just works together. Networking is the best, smartest thing that someone can do. Uh, without a doubt. And, and to have those people in your life that that encourage you. Yeah. That coach you. That more than, more than those things, they'll hold you accountable. And, and maybe not... Um, maybe not by their words, but definitely by their actions. You know, the, the people that believe in you, the Tom Olivers of the world, yeah. the Scott Blakely's of the world. You know, Scott Blakely was someone who believed in me and said, hey, when, yeah. I, when I was transitioning from repoing cars, said, go back to school, man. You wanted to be a teacher in the beginning. Do it. Go do it. And uh, that was a, a key reason I became an educator and spent, you know, 12, 13 years of my life committed committed to that. And, um this podcast kind of comes out of that as well to where uh, I had an opportunity to transition out and just uh, for, for multitude of reasons and um, mainly time. Yeah. Mainly time. Uh, I uh, spent a lot of time as an educator and I absolutely love what I did, but this podcast is that next piece to what I'm trying to accomplish in my life to find my best self. And through that uh, it's getting that message to a broader audience than than what I'd had before. Same for you. Yeah. Well, one thing that I know about you, Scott, is you've always had a heart for people. Uh, I love people. And, and, you know, I was class president a couple years and you know what I mean? You, you were class president the, the last couple well, of years, just the so, last. Yeah. But, but, but we, we just love people it's, always, you know what always I mean? It's been about the relationship. It, and yeah. And that's what you're doing now. And, and when it's unhealthy, look, all the healthy relationships you're going to walk away from because you'll be ashamed and embarrassed Absolutely. To, to be around those people. So it's not that I didn't want to be uh, in people's lives. Is I was more ashamed of my poor choices, and I really you know, was always rooting for people to be successful and do well. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm, man, I'm thankful for all you're doing, and uh, thanks for, for coming on just talking today and uh, spreading the word, brother. Yeah, you know, hey, bro. Uh, I, I think the biggest thing, you know, we're we're all trying to accomplish is make this world a better place. And 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 look, I instead of like bashing, if there's a need or something, you could you could be that person. You could start that ministry. You could uh, put in that transitional house. Like there is so much mm. that you can really do instead of like always saying why don't they do this or why don't it's like i just had to get rid of that and i would challenge myself and i would say what could i do 
and I found out, bro, that there's a lot that I can do, and I don't have to rely on what everyone is doing. And if more people just honestly focused on what they could do and what they could affect, I'm telling you, like, you could do so much more than probably what you would give yourself credit for. It's it's what I've said before. You change behavior, you change belief. And when your behavior starts changing, and part of that is the people you're with, the people you're associating with, those that you allow into your life, the things that you're listening to. Uh, I've talked about that before, too, where um, I stopped listening to music altogether for, for about three years. I just only thing I would listen to would be motivational speakers, people that were yeah. pouring into my head, Eric Thomas and um God, so many of them that were just uh, incredible. Chris Voss and, and multitude of others. Uh, Gary Vaynerchuk is a big one too. And just listening to those words, and all of a sudden, you start believing it. Yeah. And you start living it a little bit. And next thing you know, well, I lived it a little bit. What if I just lived it a little bit more? You know, I've struggled with weight most of my adult life. Well, all of my adult life. And I, I recently saw a picture of me. Uh, carrying a baby bag. So when Addison was just a baby and I, I said, Oh my gosh, did I eat him? You know? <laughs> and it wasn't like, you know, I never had a good like mental image of myself, yeah. of what I look like. And that stems from being young and overweight. Well, then by the time I was 16, 17, 18 through my mid twenties, man, I looking back now, Holy moly, I'd take that guy in a heartbeat. Yeah. Right. But my mental image of me was not that. It was not someone who I was in shape, man. I looked skinny in a couple of pictures. I never felt skinny. But our mental pictures, how we think of ourselves, we project that. We project that in the things we do. Oh yeah. You know, I had a poor self image. Smoking was easy. You know, yeah, smoking a joint here or there, that was easy. Yeah, you know, drinking some alcohol to excess, that was easy. Yeah, because I already didn't feel well about myself anyway, so why not just, you know, yeah, look at that. Uh, yeah, you got to be a clown. So yeah. yeah, rather than rather than being someone who people looked at and went, oh man, that guy, he's got his crap together. I just clown instead because it was easier to get a laugh. Right? Yeah. I, you, you know you feel that. To the choir, bro. Say, man, we, yeah. We're cut from the same cloth. Absolutely. And, uh, I think I, I think the difference was probably one decision. Yeah. You know, you think about just one decision that, that you, you have made in life that changes the direction. It might seem ever so slight in the moment, but that, that change of one degree difference in your long-term trajectory it's just incredible. Yeah. It's just incredible. And, um, you know, I, I've, I, I'm with you, man. I, I just want to project positivity. Absolutely. Um, you know, this, this whole thing is about people finding their best self and experiencing, um, you know, an opportunity to find their best life. And if there's one thing that gets said on my podcast that changes someone for the better, then it's all worth it. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And I know, I know there is, bro. So, well, good. Thanks for coming on, man. Guys, there's so much more we could talk about today. We're an hour in, and you all know I like my hour. Um, but thank you, Brian. You guys all will give him your, give him a big round of applause in your car for, 
for all he's doing and cheer him on and and make sure you know we're, we're keeping an eye on him yeah all right yeah. always under the microscope hey i went all in i'm gonna i'm gonna love keep it. it that way bro i love it well thank you so much and thanks for thanks for all you do is there some place people can can reach out to you i know you're not social media in it up anymore but i do facebook you can get a hold of me at brian blevins and i just started chubby burgers page oh you gotta so get on come the on follow man. me you, you know see chubby burgers out there go up and say hey to brian and um make sure you talk to him and uh get you a chubby burger don't go for the junior well maybe you can i <laughs> probably should your wife should you know? <laughs> <laughs> not yours not, not yours <laughs> yeah, i definitely need to go for the junior I, i've had the chubby burger man let me tell you i was like holy crap i should have got the yeah. junior so get get the junior unless you feel a little froggy yeah you can go for it feel like you had a good week and it's a cheat day hey two-thirds pound come on <laughs> it is every bit of it too all right guys thanks so much we're out <laughs> <laughs>